Well, as you know, we've been talking together about living a life that outlives me. Understanding that our time on this earth is going to come to an end one of these days. And we want to use that time in such a way that we have an impact on the world around us, that we have an influence, a ministry that is meaningful enough that it lasts longer than we do. And so we've been looking at the book of Acts to help us with that because the people in the book of Acts, the believers, the early disciples, lived that kind of life. And they wound up, according to Acts 17, turning the world upside down. Well, today we'll conclude our series in Acts 12. If you have your copy of scripture with you, I want to invite you to look at Acts 12 with me. We're going to look at the story there. I did want to show you one of the, one of the, the key ingredients. As a matter of fact, I, I think I would say that this is the key that unlocks all of the things we've talked about through this whole series. The way that you accomplish all of the things that we've been talking about is summed up in the story that we're about to find. Look with me in chapter 12, and I want us to begin at verse 1. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. You remember James and John, sons of thunder, sons of Zebedee. They were the fishermen that dropped their nets and followed Jesus. Herod killed James in a violent way. He killed him with the sword. And then look at verse 3. When he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. He loved the popularity that that violence gained for him. By killing James, the Jews got on Herod's side and they were supporting him. And he wanted that support. He, he loved that power. And so he said, well, man, if killing James gets me attention, well, we'll do Peter next and we'll see what happens. So he arrests Peter. But notice the last part of verse 3. This was during the days of unleavened bread. Now, there's more to it than, than this, but oversimplifying. We just understand that this is around the Passover time. The days of unleavened bread, it takes place right after. But, but just think of it as, as the Passover time, as a, as a religious uh, holiday period, if you will. And because of that, the same Jews who rejoiced that James was put to death now would react negatively to some violent act that took place over the Passover period. In other words, Herod has arrested Peter, but he can't do anything yet because the, the Jews will get mad if he 
spills blood like that and makes a big scene during the Passover days. Therefore, he puts Peter on hold. Verse 4, when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him. Now, squad was most likely four soldiers. So four squads, you know, that's four times that there were four guards. Most likely, we're, we're looking at shifts, four shifts over the 24-hour period. And each shift had four guards. And so he, he puts him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him. I'm the last part of verse 4 now. Intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison. Notice, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. The church, those disciples gathered in homes, they had no power. They had no authority. They, they had no recourse. There was nothing they could do about the fact that Peter was in prison and James had been killed. Except they could pray. And as a church, they did what they could do. But notice they didn't just pray. In verse 5 again, Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Hang on to that word earnest and we're going to look at it again in just a moment. Now when Herod was about to bring him out, on that very night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and centuries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold an angel of the Lord stood next to him and light shone in the cell. Now, what surprises me in this story is that this angel has come from heaven, has made his way into the prison. Light is shining everywhere, and Peter is sleeping through it. One of the reasons that surprises me is one time there was a storm, and Jesus was in the boat and he was sleeping through the storm and Peter says, how can you sleep through this? And now here he is snoozing. Light shows up everywhere and he just sleeps right through. And then look at the last part of verse seven. He struck Peter on the side and woke him. So here's Peter sleeping. And the angel comes over and gives him a good elbow, or maybe he winged him. I don't know, but, ow, I'm sorry. The angel said to him, oh, he struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. The angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. Peter is so out of it. The guy has to say, here's how we get dressed. Put on your clothes. Put on your sandals. Have you, some of y'all parents, you've been there? Waking up early. This is how you get dressed. Put on your shoes. Okay. 
Now, I ser- I'm making a kind of a joke, but I seriously think that Peter is groggy. And you're going to see why as we move forward. He's half asleep and half awake. And, you know, he didn't get to hit the snooze. He had to get out of bed as soon as that alarm came off. And so he says, dress yourself, put on your sandals. He did so. He said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. He went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. Peter thought he was still asleep, dreaming. His brain had not yet fully awakened. Besides that, what was happening couldn't be real. An angel has appeared out of nowhere. The chains fall down because the angel hits him to wake him up. And now doors are opening and things are happening. Verse 10, when they passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord. And they went out and went along one street and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, you see, now finally... Finally, I think he's waking up. He came to himself. I think that means that the adrenaline got to his brain and said, dude, something's happening here. You got to wake up or you're going to miss it. And he came to himself. Verse 11, he said, now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary. Well, there's, there's so many Marys in the Bible. Luke does us a favor. He helps us understand which Mary we're talking about. This is the mother of John, whose other name was Mark. Now, John Mark, you remember, he becomes a big part of the missionary story later. He, this is the guy that wrote what we have, the Gospel of Mark. And they're at his mama's place. And there were many were gathered and were praying. You see that? In verse 5, it said that when Peter was in prison, they were earnestly praying. Now, in verse 11, there are 12, they're still praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. <laughs> Here's, here's, I don't know why that's funny. Here's Peter standing at the gate. He's knocking. Rhoda runs to the gate. Says, oh, it's Peter. And turns around and leaves him. He's saying, Rhoda. The other thing that I just think is hilarious about the story is just a moment ago, the angel opened the gate to the city. And yet this gate stays closed. Where's the angel? Where's Rhoda? Will no one open the gate to allow the prayer to be answered? Perhaps there's a reason. Rhoda runs back in and says, you're not going to believe this. Verse 15, they said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, oh, it's his angel. No, remember, the angel wasn't there or the gate would have opened. 
What had they been praying for? They'd been praying for Peter to be released. Now Peter's released and they say, no, it can't be. Let's be honest. Have you ever been there? What? God actually listens? I've been praying and now I don't know what to believe because it's happening. The people thought, oh, it's just his angel because it can't be Peter. Peter's in, in jail. And there's verse 16, Peter's still knocking. <laughs> and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. This is not the James that was killed. This is James the half-brother of Jesus, who was the pastor of the first church in Jerusalem. Go and tell the pastor and the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Peter is set free from the prison, and he comes back to the church because the people prayed. But not just easy toss a prayer kind of prayer. They prayed earnestly. When's the last time you prayed so completely that it wore you out? When was the last time you were just on the floor Pouring out every ounce of energy, pleading to the Lord. You see, too often we take prayer as a religious responsibility or activity. God wants us to pray. Okay, I pray. Now I've been obedient. Now let's go. These folks prayed earnestly, crying out to an almighty God. When Abraham heard that Sodom and Gomorrah were going to be destroyed, what did he do? He prayed. When Abraham heard, or when Moses heard the Amalekites were coming, what did he do? He prayed. When David needed a new start, what did he do? He prayed. When Jonah was in the belly of a fish, what did he do? He prayed. When Nehemiah heard that Jerusalem was in ruins, what did he do? He prayed. When the people needed rain, what did Elijah do? He prayed. The Bible tells us that Jesus woke up early to pray. He dismissed the people to pray. He went up on a mountain to pray. He crafted a model prayer to teach us to pray. He cleansed the temple so others could pray. He stepped into a garden to pray. Jesus covered everything he did and said in prayer. Matter of fact, one time he reminded the people, my house shall be called a house of not preaching, not committee meetings, not even singing. My house 
the place where I dwell, the place where I meet my people, is going to be a house of prayer. Beloved, in order for us to live a life that outlives us, we have to be people of prayer. And not a religious activity, but a heartfelt soul crying out to an almighty God.